So tonight we are going to be talking on preachers. We are going to be talking about preachers. And you may be thinking this has nothing to do with you, but I want to encourage you and exhort you in that this has more to do with you than you even think. This has way more to do with you than than what you think. So we are going to be beginning in John chapter 8, starting at verse 4, and we're going to read all the way to, to 10. And just to give a quick, a quick little context, we are talking about the woman caught in adultery. What is Jesus doing here? Jesus is being interrupted. Jesus is being interrupted, the ultimate preacher, in the middle of his sermon by a bunch of preachers. Jesus, the ultimate preacher, is about to be interrupted by some other preachers. So let's begin a text. The, the, the preachers come and they interrupt Jesus and they say, teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What, did you, what do you say? They were trying to trap, trap Jesus into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. A little bit of a life lesson. There's times and a place that you don't have to say anything. There's time and a place where, you know, sometimes you just don't got to say anything. Preaching 101, sometimes you don't got to preach, you don't got to say nothing. So already Jesus is teaching us a lot. And so they kept demanding an answer. How audacious these preachers are demanding the ultimate preacher to, to answer to him. How egotistical, if you really think about it, making someone do something like that. And so he stood up and said, all right, But let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down and he rode again in the dust. And when the accusers heard this, they began to slip away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And we're going to stop there there real quick. But we're coming into this text and this narrative of preachers' relationship with some sinners. Preachers' relationships with some sinners. And ultimately, it's going to be a very personal connection with them. And and real quick, I want to highlight those last two verses. Let's let's go back to verse 9 and 10. Let's read this again. It says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one beginning with the oldest until only, only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? So something that is really significant in verse nine, can you put verse nine back up? Sorry, I'm making it over. Jesus confronts these, these people Jesus confronts this crowd. Jesus confronts the people that are here trying to trap this woman in adultery. And when Jesus lays down the law, when Jesus gives his punchline, when Jesus gives his ultimate one line already for an altar call, it says, when the accusers heard this, they slipped away, beginning with the oldest. And I want to give you a little bit of insight in who were the oldest people. The oldest 
would have been preachers themselves, those that were in charge of the temple, those that were in charge of, of, of teaching the law, then, and those that were um, the ones that were primarily in charge and responsible for Jewish spiritual life. And it says that the oldest, the religious people, the preachers, the pastors of that day, were the first to walk away. Another translation says, from the oldest to the youngest, they began to walk away. So from the preachers to the leaders to the congregants, they began to walk away. And I want to encourage you that, that a lot of what begins and what starts in the church, what we walk away from or what we walk to, has so much to do with the preachers of whom which are there. So much of whom the preachers are that are there. And so the compassion and empathy for, for others should begin first and foremost in the heart of a pastor, in the heart of a preacher. Because what you see, Jesus as the ultimate preacher, Jesus as the, the ultimate um, preacher, because what is he doing? He's sitting here, he's preaching, and he's not preaching about Jesus. He's not preaching about something else. He's preaching about himself. What Jesus is doing is setting a precedent in this moment. He's setting a precedent for all preachers because he's not sitting here stuck by the law. He's not here preaching something that was external, but Jesus was preaching Jesus. And so often he says, let him who is without sin cast the first one. The one without sin was putting an emphasis, was trying to detract away from an emphasis of sin. Because Jesus himself was, not, was the one that was most sinless. So he wasn't looking to point other people towards sin, but he was looking to point them to the righteousness that was inside of him. This example is what we call good news. This example is what we call the gospel. This is an example of good news for this woman. And ultimately, it was good news for the preachers in it. Because I want to encourage you in this. Because here's what the, the, the rebuttal for this woman was. For, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Can you imagine what she was looking like? She was caught in the act of adultery. Maybe she was able to get at least a little bit of modesty with inside of her and around her to be wrapped up in a bed sheet. Maybe she was able to grab some clothes. Maybe she was able to cover herself up. But this woman has has been drugged out in the most intimate of experiences. And what is happening? This woman knows what her fate is. The Jewish law, the, the first five books of the Bible, which we call Torah, which is what these preachers are preaching out of and teaching and, and, and cultivating moralistic and, and ritualistic responsibilities, is that they are saying that this woman is caught in adultery, so what is going to happen to her? She is about to be stoned. She is about to be stoned. She is about to have stones thrown at her head and ultimately how you have died and what, what they say you die in this stoning is that you've been hit in the head so hard with rocks and so many times and so repeatedly that it causes your brain to swell to the point that your brain can't handle it anymore and you ultimately die from swollenness. They were in such a precarious situation. 
But Jesus changes the narrative. Jesus changes the narrative in that he doesn't ultimately, first and foremost, point out the sin of this woman. But he points out the sin of those who've come to condemn her. This is good news. This is good news for you. This is good news for me. This is good news for those preachers. Because if you really think about it, if Jesus wasn't condemning this woman, if Jesus' heart was not to condemn this woman, and yet they went ahead and stoned her, those very people would have been directly responsible for what? A murder. They would have murdered this woman. There was no righteous indignation. There was not a righteous cause. If Jesus hadn't condemned her and they followed through, they would have been just as guilty of sin. And you see, I want to let you know that the preacher is responsible to share the gospel, to share good news. Yes, we, within our messages, our life application, which in, within our messages, our, our housekeeping situations, within our, our messages, our advice or, or counsel. But can I tell you, I'm not here to be your life coach. I'm not here to give you financial advice. I'm not here to help you with your self-help and self-development. I'm not here to get you to become a CEO or the most predominant person. I'm simply here to tell you to be with God, to relate to God, to talk to God, to walk with God, and ultimately enjoy God. Because that is the good news, is that we have an opportunity to connect with God through the person of Jesus. And you see, you may find it surprising that this is the responsibility of a pastor to tell you good news, to tell you that Jesus loves you, to tell you that Jesus cares for you, that Jesus wants you to have relationship with him, that he has died for your sins and you are no longer under judgment. You are no longer um, under the, the rule and reign of death. But as Romans 1, 8 says, it says, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You may find it very surprising that this is the role of a pastor that this is a role of a preacher because let me be honest with you, I find that very surprising too. Because that's not always the reputation that preachers have. Now, we, I, I tried to give us a, a strong variety of preachers for us to look at. You start, um, the first one was the pastor of the church that I went to in Chattanooga, Kevin Wallace. You may have seen him at Winterfest. You may have seen him at youth camps. You may have seen him at general assemblies. He is a predominant pastor. And what he's going to do, he's going to yell. He's going to, he's going to shout the house down. And then you, you turn to, to Jackie Perry, a, a strong black woman preacher. And what is she doing? She's talking with calmness. She's talking with peace. 
She's talking with, with, with chill. Then you have Joel Osteen who's having his, his moment of, of, exhorting, uh, of exerting his voice and amplifying his voice, letting us know that better days are to come. Then, then you have Joyce Meyer walking around as a, a robot, being an example of, of living a life of how the enemy ultimately has a, an inward focus. And then we conclude with Judah Smith crying in authenticity and in vulnerability before his congregation of his struggle with life and with difficulty. And you see, even in just those three minutes, we are giving such a variety of preaching. We are giving such a variety of of how the word of God is being communicated. But so often, I think we find ourselves with, with preachers having the connotation of being angry, being of angst, You know, sometimes they don't have the best tone that matches what they are saying. And ultimately, they can come off as judgmental. You see, one of my my favorite billboards as I'm driving down the street, I always love those Jesus or hell billboards. Jesus or hell. And I don't think they're just saying Jesus or hell. But no, I think it's like this, this, this roughness in their voice of Jesus or hell. It's an anger, it's a a fierceness, it's a a passion with inside of it. And is the semblance wrong? Not scripturally, not biblically. But man, does it sound like the good news. You see, uh, tone has, has so much to do. And our account sheds further light on the approach by which we should be preaching. The account that we're talking about, this, this narrative that we're, we're learning about tonight and we're talking about tonight should further show light on how we should approach preaching. And you may be saying to yourself, well, I'm not a preacher. I want nothing to do with preaching. I don't want to stand in front of people. I want nothing to do with public speaking. I don't preach. I don't pastor. I don't do any of that. But for those who follow Jesus, for those who follow Jesus, you are in fact a preacher. And you are, in fact, a relayer of Jesus. If you've ever told anybody about Jesus, guess what? You're a preacher. Has nothing to do with how many people it's with. Doesn't have anything to do with a paycheck. It has nothing to do with licensure or or getting a credentials to preach. It has nothing to do with knowledge. But if you are a follower of Christ and you tell someone about Jesus, guess what? You are a relayer and a preacher of Jesus. And on a planet with pain and on a planet with problems, how much more do we need good news? We talked about that last week. We talked about trauma and societal trauma and personal trauma and and difficulties that we're, we're going through. But in a world right now with so much pain and with so many problems, how much more do we need the good news? And so we have preachers, uh, we have preachers interrupting the ultimate preacher. What Jesus is doing is he is preaching himself. And what they're doing is they are focusing on sin, yet Jesus is focusing is on the one who has no sin. What they are focused on is sin. But what Jesus is focused on is the one who has no sin. He is focused on himself. He is preaching of himself. He is reflecting about himself. And you see, the preachers, 
are the first ones to drop their stones. When they're confronted by the ultimate preacher who is saying, look, we are not focused on sin here, but we are focused about grace. What does John 3, 16, 17 say? It talks about that he came into the world not to condemn the world, but to give life and to give life more abundantly. And so the preachers hear the semblance of Jesus and Jesus' message. And, and what do they do? They drop their rocks. So what is this saying for us? What should we be saying to preachers? What am I saying to preachers tonight? But what am I also saying to all of us? It's time to let go of condemning and being judgmental. It's time to let go of the hateful approach of telling the story of Jesus. It's time for us to lay down our rocks and approach one another the way Jesus did. One of the most predominant things of 2020 has been cancel culture. We are looking to cancel everyone. What were, the, what were the, the mob that was looking to stone the woman in adultery doing? They were looking to cancel her based off of one decision. And it has been proven that there are news outlets out there that are literally paying people significant amount of money to go back onto celebrities or politicians or influencers, Twitters and Facebooks and Instagrams and, and to dig up videos and to find things so that they can wrap them up in a scandal in order to cancel them. We live in a society that is so focused on canceling one another due to our wrongdoings and our failures and our shortcomings. But this isn't how Jesus approaches people. This may be so often even how the church approaches people in trying to cancel one another based off of poor decisions and, and poor influence. But Jesus isn't working on canceling people. Rather than canceling people, he is looking to promote that lives can be redeemed and lives can be restored. Because ultimately, what is Jesus saying to this woman? He says, go and live a life of sin no more. He had advocated on behalf of this woman. He had advocated on behalf of this woman so that she no longer lives on the condemnation of it. Now go back to the moment that this woman has been called. She's ripped out of her bed. She's shamed. She's been humiliated. Her wrongdoing on display for everyone. And as she's walking and as she's being dragged, I could imagine that her head is, is bowed down and her head is lowered in shame because she is expecting to be pulverized. She's expecting to be pulverized by rocks for her sin and her wrongdoing. And she's expecting to be pulverized by a response of religious people. But what Jesus does is he is calm, he's cool, collective. In this moment of someone having a failure and a shortcoming, Jesus finds himself calm, cool, and collected. And guess what? That should be our demeanor towards the same situation. Now, I don't know about you. I've, I've heard a many, many sermons in my life. Many, many sermons in my life. And they're the ones, my favorite sermons are the ironic sermons. 
where we're talking about love and the love of God, but we're talking about it in such a, a way that is intense and in a way that is yelling and a way that is shouting that you're going like, are you mad at me? Like, what did I do wrong? And it's this tension of, of hearing what you're saying, but how you are saying it and the way you are communicating it seems to be very off and is ultimately very ironic. And I want to challenge you and, and maybe make you think a little bit deeper of what these rocks represent. What do these rocks that we pick up represent? And as a preacher, I can attest to you that these, these are a lot of the rocks that we pick up on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night or on a, in a Bible study or, or whatever capacity. And, and some of the rocks we represent is the rock of projection. The rocks of projection is we are projecting our own struggles, our own difficulties, and our own hardships on somebody else. You see, so often we feel insufficient in our life. So often we may have a a struggle and a difficulty or, or something that we're wrestling through and we're battling through. And so what do we do? We project the insecurity and and the self-loathing or the condemnation that we are experiencing in our own life onto the congregation or onto other people in a realm for us to feel connected or validated or, or even just for us to feel venting. But have you ever noticed when, uh, so I've learned so often when you find a, a pastor that is harping on the same sin, unrelenting, so often that's maybe the same sin that they are struggling with and they're projecting the hardship and the difficulty of their own bondage onto everybody else. Another rock that we often pick up is the rock of our opinion. The rock of our opinion, our opinion politically that we like to use scripture to contort and manipulate for our own benefit. Our opinion of what you should be doing, how you should be acting, how you should be looking, how you should be giving, how you should be talking. The rock of our opinion that is not often very scriptural. Another one is the rock of categorization. As Christians, we like to, to stack and, and create little sins that are bigger than the other ones or, or ones that are, are more difficult and, and ones that are more overt and more aware and more out there than the ones that are hidden inside of us that so often we like to pick up the rock of categorization. Because here's the thing, all of these preachers had their own sin. All of these preachers had their own sin, yet they decided they were going to drag somebody else out for their sin. They were categorizing. They lost sight of Romans 1.8 that therefore there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so John verse 8, if we can put it up there. John, verse, John chapter 8 verse 10 says, then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? In this moment, all it is, is Jesus and this woman. So the goal is for you not necessarily to hear every word that I'm saying. 
The goal of preaching is not for you to be able to recite and articulate fully every point and every, every analogy that I've ever presented, but the goal of preaching is to get people alone with Jesus. The goal of preaching is to get people alone with Jesus. And somewhere in the midst of a message, in somewhere in the midst of a conversation in a coffee shop, in, in somewhere in the midst of, of just living life and preaching our life, the goal is to have that process and offer that process to where they begin to experience and become aware of the closeness of Jesus in their life. Because you see, the, the preachers, the, the religious people, they were not wrong in their understanding of the law. By the law, the woman was condemned. By the law, the woman deserved death. They were not wrong in their interpretation and in their understanding of the law, but their motives were for destruction. They had a motivation to bring forth destruction in the lives of one another. And here's this woman's response. John 8, 11 says, No, Lord, how does this woman respond to Jesus? She says, no, Lord. And Jesus says, well, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. What this woman is having to experience, she says, Lord. And if you look at the connection of Lord, what it is saying is she's basically saying, no, Yahweh. No, Savior. No, the Christ. No, Redeemer. She's referring to Jesus as the Lord of her life in this moment. And now at this point, she has gone from being fixated on her execution. You know, how many times do I think the, the people in our church feel this way that they get so fixated on their execution because we do not offer them an, an opportunity to, to find the love and the grace and, the, and create a space for them to come into closeness and awareness of, of Jesus? This woman had come and accepted her end. This woman had come in this very moment expecting the end of her life. She was fixated on the execution. So often we come in fixated on the execution of other people for their decisions and the wrongdoing. And here she is. She's accepted her end. But here's what Jesus does. He says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. No longer is she condemned, but Jesus says go. What she thought was her last day actually became a brand new day for her. What was meant to be her death day really became the day of a new birth for her. Because the reality is that Jesus is the deliverer. And if we preach the person of Jesus more than principle, I think people would come and live that they have a new day rather than living every day is their last day in condemnation. You see, because we need to ask ourselves, do the sermons we are preaching lead people to moving away from sin consciousness or is it leading people to move towards the goodness of God? 
Are we looking to make people feel so much more about their morality and how they live their life and and things that ultimately do not get us into heaven? Or are we putting people into the projection that you need to understand and encounter the goodness of God? You need to encounter the good news rather than being so fixated on your execution, so fixated on your sin because Jesus is not fixated on our sin. And the more that we find the goodness of God, the more that we learn and see his goodness, guess what? The sin of our life, the destruction of our life becomes more and more of a back thought towards us because we are no longer living with the consciousness of everything that we've done wrong in our life, but we move towards the consciousness of everything that Jesus has done for us. Now, can we look at people with the same certainty and tell them in the eye that certainly I do not condemn you? Can we allow ourselves to lose the sin consciousness of our nature to be able to look at one another and say, therefore, I do not condemn you. You see, one of the, if you read your Bible, and some translations show this, some translations don't, but this passage is, is, has been under fire since St. Augustine. Some people, some scholars say it doesn't belong here. Some people say that it's been fabricated. It, is not, it is, does not need to be canonized into the text. It, it wasn't here, but it, it was here. And then there's, there's always this temptation and this struggle. But, but in reality, this is just as inspired of everything else because it falls. And it is the epitome and it is a narrative that aligns with the biblical principle that there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation. And you see, tonight if you find yourself struggling with poor decisions, maybe you find yourself feeling the condemnation and the humiliation of struggling. Maybe you find yourself feeling remorse for bad decisions that you've made in life. I want to encourage you that Jesus is not light on sin. Sometimes we go, oh man, he's talking about sin consciousness and we're not supposed to be sin consciousness. Oh, that's not real. Jesus is not light on sin. Jesus was crushed and destroyed because of sin. He doesn't take it lightly. And are there consequences for our sin? Absolutely. There are absolutely consequences for our sin. Whether it be physical, emotional, Mental, spiritual, but consequences and condemnation are not the same thing. Consequences and condemnation are not the same thing. There may be consequences for your struggle. There may be consequences for your failure. There will be consequences for your sin, but you are not condemned. You are not condemned. Consequences are something that aid us in our ability to not do it again, yet it is something that does not put judgment on top of us. And this is what we need to preach about. This is what we need to be preaching about. That there is no judgment for those that are in Christ Jesus. 
For those that don't know Jesus or have yet to come into relationship with Jesus, there is a good news that we should be preaching that, yes, we are broken in the midst of there's never been a time, I think, in in history that has shown the brokenness and the frailty and the fallen nature of humanity than right now. And all of us in ourselves can become very aware that we've made mistakes and that people are mean, people are vicious, that our humanity is broken, that we are not inherently good. And we've all made mistakes. We have all fallen short of the standard that we have for our life. And the good news to the unbeliever is that there is redemption. There is no judgment for you. That there is a place where we may experience the consequences of our choice, but we do not have to live condemned. We don't have to live in the brokenness and in the vileness of our sin. We do not have to live in the, the pit of the poor decisions that we made, but there is one that had bore the weight of our sin. There is one that had bore the consequences and the condemnation for everything that I have done wrong and everything that I will do wrong. And he is willing to put me into right relationship with him that I I will become the righteousness of God, that I can walk with God, I can talk with God, I can hear from God, I can enjoy God, and that there is a place that is being prepared for me to be able to live in right relationship and in harmony with the one that had created me. This is what we should be preaching. This is what we should be preaching. Not looking at one another and go, man, how bad is your sin? Not picking up the stones of projection, not picking up the stones of opinion, not picking up the stones of of condemnation and categorization of sins and who's better and who's not better, who's right and who's wrong, but picking up, but laying down the stones and taking on and, and clothing ourselves with a calm, cool, collective nature and looking at one another and saying, therefore, I do not condemn you. If Jesus doesn't condemn you, then therefore, who am I to condemn you? As preachers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should be people that preach with love, preach with grace, preach with affirmation and affection for one another. Yes, we do those maintenance things. Yes, we do those things of we got to live better. We got to do better. But ultimately, our message is good news, that we are not condemned. The good news is this woman, in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her destruction and her death, she was not condemned. And if Jesus says she's not condemned, therefore, I do not condemn you. So what does Jesus say about preachers? He says, get on my level, get on my level, act as I should. Don't be so fixated on a sin consciousness, but become fixated on the grace and the mercy of God. So let's take a moment and and close in prayer. God, we just thank you for your love and your grace today. God, we thank you, Lord, that there is a good news for us. God, that we are not condemned, we are not shamed. Lord, but you look at us not with judgment, but Lord, you say, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we make a point to lay down our rocks. We make a point to lay down our sin. We make a point to lay down our opinions and our categorizations and our projections on the other people, Lord. 
And I pray, God, that we would find your grace and your love for us. Therefore, we would be able to project that and to give that to other people and to testify that your good news is good. That there is good news for humanity today. That there is good news for us today. And God, I just pray that you would move and and minister on our behalf and within us and through us, God. That we won't be people that lead people further away from you. But God, I pray that we'd be people that lead them closer to your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.